You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. October 2nd, 2006 was a typical day. It's normally quiet and peaceful in the rolling Amish farmlands of Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. But that peace was shattered when the sound of gunfire was heard from inside an Amish school. When local police broke into the one-room Amish schoolhouse, they found 10 Amish girls ages 6 to 13 had been shot by Charles Carl Roberts, who by then had taken his own life. The shooting took place at West Nickel Mines Amish School, located about 12 miles southeast of Lancaster. Nickel Mines is just a crossroads within Bart Township, a local municipality with a population of roughly 3,000 Amish and English families, a people that are committed to a life of simplicity, a life of faith, and a life of nonviolence. The school was a typical Amish one-room school with a school bell on the roof, as you can see, two bathroom houses with a fenced-in schoolyard. It was built in 1976. On the blackboard of that schoolhouse was a sign with a teddy bear. The sign read, Visitors bubble up our days. 26 children ages 6 to 13 from three different local Amish communities attend this this school. Charles Roberts was a milk truck driver who serviced the local community, including the farms of some of the victims' families. Nine years earlier, his wife Amy had given birth to their first child, a baby girl. However, the baby died after living only 20 minutes. Apparently, his daughter's death affected him greatly. So much so, he never forgave God for her death. On the morning of October 2nd, Robert said goodbye to two of his children at the school bus stop and then drove to West Nickel Mines Amish School. Some of the children there recognized him when he walked through the schoolhouse doors. That day, the school had four visitors. The teacher's mother, her sister, and two sister-in-laws. One of the women was pregnant. When the young teacher saw his guns, she and her mother left the other adults with the children and ran to a nearby house for help. A call was made to 911. Roberts ordered the adults to leave, and then he told the boys to leave. The boys huddled near an outhouse there to pray. And Roberts had the ten girls stay behind where he tied their hands and feet together. Roberts told the girls that he was sorry for what he was about to do. But, and I quote, I'm angry at God and I need to punish some Christian girls to get even with him. When the state police arrived, Roberts ordered them to leave the property or he would shoot. He told the girls, I'm going to make you pay for my daughter. And so he did. When the police broke into the school, two of the girls were already deceased. Another little girl, seven-year-old Naomi Rose, died in the arms of a state trooper. Emergency personnel arrived quickly, and helicopters flew the wounded to hospitals to Lancaster, Hershey, to Reading, and Delaware. Two sisters died later that night in two different area hospitals. Amish parents tried to console one another by saying that the five girls who had died were in the arms of Jesus. 
following the tragic Amish school shooting of these 10 young girls in this one-room Amish schoolhouse, reporters from throughout the entire world invaded Lancaster, PA. As many of you may remember, the story was well covered. However, in the hours and the days following the shooting, a different and unexpected story began to develop. In the midst of their grief over this shocking loss, the Amish community didn't cast blame. They didn't point fingers. They didn't hold a press conference with attorneys at their side. Instead, they reached out with grace and compassion to the family of the man who had killed their children. The afternoon of the shooting, an Amish grandfather of one of the girls who was killed expressed forgiveness toward Charles Roberts. That same day, Amish neighbors visited the Roberts family. Later that week, the Roberts family was invited to the funeral of one of the Amish girls who had been killed. And Amish mourners far outnumbered the non-Amish mourners at Charles Roberts' funeral. Charles Roberts was tormented for nine years by the premature death of his daughter. He never forgave God for her death. Yet after he shot ten innocent Amish girls, the Amish almost immediately forgave him and showed compassion toward his family, all because of Jesus. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said to them, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Luke chapter 6, 32-33 in verse 37. Fast forward six years in December of 2012, a Wisconsin based atheist group called the Freedom from Religion Foundation demanded that Henderson County of Tennessee would remove a nativity scene. The group later shifted its focus to getting an atheist banner displayed alongside the nativity. With a clowny decline to remove the nativity, believing that it was in complete compliance with the Constitution. But Patrick Green, the leader of the atheist movement, disagreed, which was not surprising since Patrick Green, this was not the first time he had taken such a stance on a church-state issue. He had a long history of activism going back to at least 1998, when then he challenged and changed the way the city of Ontario, California, stored and cared for a series of nativity scenes. He also twice filed lawsuits against San Antonio's mayor's office for prayer-related reasons and had pursued legal action against other entities. However, a turn of events took place when Patrick Green discovered that he had a detached retina and may lose his eyesight. At that point, the atheist leader decided to drop the lawsuit. And the newspaper reported the story. He says this, there's no way for me to go up there if I'm blind, said Green. He lives in San Antonio, almost 300 miles away from Henderson County Courthouse. Green had no insurance to pay for the operation that might save his life. Couldn't even pay for the exam to confirm the diagnosis. 
Why waste the money if I can't do anything about it? Told the local newspaper. Well, after the story was published, right on the newspaper website, many in Henderson County talked about trying to help him in the comment threads. Almost all of the people that talked about helping him were exclusively Christians and local pastors. Jessica Cry, a member of Sand Springs Baptist Church in Athens, Tennessee, read on the internet about the story. And she reached out after feeling troubled and compelled to help to her pastor, Reverend Eric Graham, to see if there was anything that the church could do. And so Green told the pastor that he had an immediate need once Reverend Graham contacted Green to ask if they could help. And the pastor said, what do you need? And Green said, well, if you really want to contribute something to help, we need groceries. Green told his wife, Karen, that the Christians had offered to help him. And she couldn't believe it. Because as you would imagine, given their years of activism against religions, particularly Christianity, they had not experienced much kindness from Christians, to say the least. So Green thought, if anything, he would see $50, $100. But a few days later, the Christians made good on their offer, and $400 check came in. And then money just kept pouring in. Green said, I can't believe it. I feel like I'm in the twilight zone. And the money went to help pay his rent and provide necessities from the grocery store. The contributions just kept pouring in. Green was so amazed by the generosity of the Christians in Henderson County that he began sharing the story through the media and was thinking about writing a book. He says this, I'm going to call it Real Christians of Henderson County, Texas. And he goes on to say, because these people are acting like what the Bible says a Christian does. I'm dedicating the book to my wife, the young lady who started the idea, and Reverend Eric Graham. I've also decided to show my appreciation to the Christian community for all their help, and I'm going to buy a star for the top of the nativity scene. But he concluded saying, but you people can figure out how to plug it in. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said to them, If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Luke chapter 6, verses 33 through 34, and verse 38. Rewind many years back. And there's a story of a Lutheran pastor who offers his account of life in prison in communist Romania. He says this. At my right hand was a priest by the name of Iscu. He was abbot or head of the monastery. This man, perhaps in his 40s, had been so tortured he was near to death, but his face was serene. He spoke about his hope of heaven, about his love of Christ, about his faith. He radiated with joy. On my left side was the communist torturer 
who had tortured this priest almost to death. For reasons unknown, he had been arrested by his own comrades. And so it happened that the communist torturer who had tortured this priest nearly to death had been tortured nearly to death by his comrades. And he was dying near me. His soul was in agony. During the night, he would awaken me saying, Pastor, please pray for me. I cannot die. I've committed such terrible crimes. Then I saw a miracle. I saw the agonized priest calling two other prisoners and leaning on their shoulders slowly, slowly he walked past my bed, sat on the bedside of this murder and caressed his head. I will never forget this gesture. I watched a murdered man caressing his murderer. That is love as he found a caress for him. The priest told him, if I, who am a sinner, can love you so much. Imagine Christ, who was love incarnate, how much he loves you. And all the Christians whom you have tortured know that they forgive you, they love you, and Christ loves you. He wishes you to be saved much more than you wish to be saved. You wonder if your sins can be forgiven. He wishes to forgive your sins more than you wish your sins to be forgiven. He desires for you to be with him in heaven much more than you wish to be in heaven with him. He is love. You only need to turn to him and repent. With those words, the communist torturer believed in Jesus as Lord. Jesus said to them in his Sermon on the Mount, But I say to you who listen, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Luke chapter 6, 27 to 28. Just a couple of months ago, we learned of our 21 Coptic Christian brothers who were killed because of their faith by ISIS. Bashir Kamel is the brother of two of those Christians murdered by ISIS. In an interview, Bashir Kamel chose to give thanks to God, but not just to God. In the interview, he thanked ISIS He thanked them for not editing out the men's declaration of belief in Christ because he said that their declaration had strengthened not only his own faith, but the families of the other refugee workers and that the other refugee workers were actually congratulating one another and not in despair. He says this, We are proud to have this number of people from our village who have become martyrs, he told the interviewer. Kamel continued as he told the story of the Coptic Christians. He says, Since the Roman era, Christians have been targeted to be martyred, and we have learned to handle everything that comes our way. This only makes us stronger in our faith because the Bible told us to love our enemies and bless those who curse us. Asked by the news anchor what he would say if he were asked to forgive ISIS, he related what his mother said she would do if she ever saw the men who killed her own son. He says... My mother, an uneducated woman in her 60s, said she would ask the man to enter her house and ask God to open his eyes because he was the reason her son entered the kingdom of heaven. 
And if you think that this is only some radical Coptic Christian named Bashir Kamil, consider the words of Habib Lamai, the uncle of one of the martyrs named Samuel. In a recent interview, almost every answer Habib offered the reporter ended with this simple phrase. We thank Christ so much for they are absent from the body and present with Christ. Habib went on to say this. I sent congratulations and not condolences to the families of the martyrs. When we saw the video, we were filled with joy. They were like lions. None of them left their faith. We thank God. We are so glad. They are with Christ. We thank the Lord. They went to the eternal joy. We were tired when they did not know, but we were filled with joy when we found out they were heroic. It is as if Christ has opened the heavens for them, and he said, come up hither. Or why else would they have been kneeling firmly with joy and firmness in their faith? In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said to them, you are blessed when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Take note, your reward is great in heaven, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the prophets. Luke chapter 6, verses 22 through 23. You know, Richmond's only about 45 minutes up the road. In Richmond, a woman by the name of Martha Mullen resides. Martha Mullen found herself swirling in the verbal warfare of controversy. She said, I can't pretend it's not difficult to be reviled and maligned. But anytime you can reach across the divide and work with people that are not like you, that's what God calls us to do. 26-year-old Tamerlan Tsarnov was quietly buried Thursday at a small Islamic cemetery in rural Caroline County. His body had remained at a wet Worcester, Massachusetts funeral parlor since he was killed April 19th in a gunfight with the police, days after the bombings that killed three and injured more than 260 in downtown Boston. Cemeteries in Massachusetts and several other states refused to accept the remains, and so with the costs that were going to be associated with protecting the funeral homes mounting, the Worcester police appealed to many, many, many other avenues to find a place to bury him. Mullen said she was drinking her coffee at Starbucks when she heard a radio news report about the difficulty of finding a burial spot for this man. And then she had an epiphany. My first thought was Jesus said, love your enemies, she said. I also think when somebody's dead, you just need to bury them and move on. I thought someone ought to do something about this. I'm someone. So she offered to help the bur- in the burial of this Boston Marathon bombing suspect in a rural cemetery in Virginia. And she was not the only person who helped with the arrangements. Mullen is a mental health counselor in private practice and a graduate of United Theological Seminary in Dayton, Ohio. And so she sent emails to various faith organizations to see what could be done. She heard back from Islamic Funeral Services of Virginia, which arranged for a funeral plot at Al-Bazaka Cemetery. She said it was an interfaith effort. Now this man is buried about 30 miles north of Martha Mullen's Richmond home. 
despite the angry backlash from local officials and some cemetery neighbors and other critics, many of which are Christian, she said that she had no regrets. She went on to tell the AP News outlet this, It's horrible what happened. But I guess I just feel that Jesus says, love your enemies, and I really believe that. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, You are blessed when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Take note, your reward is great in heaven, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the prophets. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it and immediately it collapsed and the destruction of that house was great. Luke chapter 6, 22 to 23 and verses 46 to 49. Church, there is no doubt in my mind that the Lord Jesus knew what he was doing in his Sermon on the Mount with all of his prophetic speech. He spoke in extreme terms as he called for his disciples to turn the other cheek and be willing to give away their shirts off their backs even if someone only asked for their coats. There's no doubt that the Lord Jesus knew how upside down his teaching would sound in the midst of the powerful empire and all its capitalism, wealth, and promises of the good life, you know, the Roman dream. Maybe this is why Jesus offers assurance to his dumbfounded and quite possibly offended hearers when he tells us that those who just trust God and set out to do his words, even the hard ones, will be called children of God. Even in our vulnerability, we will remain safe in the security of God. That's right. Jesus' sermon on the mount is about embracing a life of vulnerability. My, my friend Ben Lankford has said, the church that views its engagement in the world through the cross will seek to posture itself in positions of vulnerability rather than in positions of power. See, vulnerability is not a highly valued virtue in our society. It wasn't in Jesus' society either. On the contrary, when we speak of someone being vulnerable, we speak in terms of defenselessness and weakness. It's dangerous to be vulnerable, and at least that much is true. Vulnerability is a dangerous thing, but not for the same reasons we often believe. See, the cross of Christ reminds us that the one in danger isn't the vulnerable one but a person or a society who thinks that salvation comes through power, self-assertion, self-seeking love, violence, fear, or sheer might. That is the one who is in danger. Never the vulnerable. Listen to what Jesus says to the vulnerable about the vulnerable. 
you who are poor are blessed because the kingdom of God is yours. You who are now hungry are blessed because you will be filled. You who now weep are blessed because you will laugh. You are blessed when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Take note, your reward is great in heaven, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the prophets. Luke 6, 20-22. See, church, Jesus reminds us that only when we are most vulnerable are we capable of receiving God's strength. After all, think about it. Who needs God's strength when we are already completely strong? So Jesus says in Luke 6, 24-25, Woe to you who are rich! For you have received your comfort. Woe to you who are now full, for you will be hungry. Jesus reminds us that it is only when we are empty can we actually be filled by the power of God. Because only when we are empty, vulnerable, submissive, prayerful, hurting, struggling, wrestling, reaching out, humble, only when we are those things do we have the capacity for God to pour something in. When we are not those things, we have no capacity for God to pour anything in. We are filled and we are full. So Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, to make our own attitude like that of Jesus. Fred, you need an attitude check, son. You need to think about the world differently. You need to talk about the world differently. You need to see the world differently so you can live in the world differently. Fred, make your own attitude like that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself. How? By assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men, by making himself vulnerable, by surrendering. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross, Philippians 2, 5 through 8. God saved the world, not through the military might of divine vengeance or retribution, nor did he save the world by a demonstration of dominating power. He saved the world by self-giving love. God saved you and I, you and me, by becoming vulnerable as the Lord of Lords entered into our world as a baby born to a poor family from the small village of Nazareth and would grow up to love the most vulnerable of society. He willingly emptied himself of the fullness of his divine power to die a criminal's death on a Roman cross to save you and me from our sin. And God knows to save you and me from ourselves. God engaged the world by what society calls the defenseless and weak position of vulnerability, evidenced by self-giving love and sacrificial death. It's undeniable in our story. It just is. In vulnerability, the Lord of heaven and earth willingly died for our redemption. Vulnerability has become our salvation. 
This absurd news has become our good news. It is the gospel. When we as a church become clear on this, God's purposes will become clear through us. We will become a sign, instrument, and foretaste of God's present kingdom and His preferred future, the world that is to come, as described in the text. The world God describes to us through His inspired scriptures. We will learn that the world will not be changed by persuasive arguments or power-mongering. It will not be changed by these things. It will only be changed by tangible acts of compassion and love postured in humility. A church like this is formed through the cross, is formed through humility, is formed through self-giving love, is formed through submission. For this is what the cross of Christ teaches us. Only then will our words begin to matter. Jesus is Lord. That is my confession. Jesus is Lord. That is our confession. The life, death, resurrection, and exaltation of Jesus as Lord and King has made God's kingdom available to all who would repent from all the other kingdoms and all the other rules that we play by and believe and trust in the kingdom of God and the rules that God is creating that says will last. For us who believe, we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. For us who believe, we have received forgiveness of sin and eternal life. For us who believe, we have been freed from the obligation of playing according to the rules of the old age that is passing away. A society where power is bound up in strength and violence and fear rules today. For us who believe, we still feel the realities and the weight of sin and death. But we have been filled with the Spirit of God. And, and are free to live more vulnerably where we can submit to one another in humility, consider others more important than ourselves, love our neighbors and our enemies, and pursue the Christ-like life of self-giving love. If you're asking what does vulnerability look like, read Philippians 2 and pray on it and think about it. Don't ask me. Think about it. It's in the text. Look at Jesus. That's what it looks like. It looks like considering others more important than yourselves. It looks like posturing our lives in humility. It looks like submitting to one another in love. It looks like caring for others. It looks like loving our neighbor and loving our enemy. It looks like giving to those who need regardless of expectation of payback. It looks like these things in our lives. And attached to that invitation, that call, that command of Jesus is the promises of God, are the promises of God that those who trust Him at all times, those who pursue trusting Him at all times, we, we jack it up, we mess it up, we're not going to do it, but those who pursue trusting Him at all times, we're covered in His grace, whether we're in the face of backlash and scrutiny on our knees in the presence of terrorist executioners, in the hands of a communist torturer, in the funeral service of a man who murdered your children, all those who trust in Jesus as Lord and do His words, even the hard things, will have nothing to prove and nothing to lose. Because we will know that we are the beloved of God. The creator of heaven and earth the giver of life and faithful victor of death. Christian, if you have truly been united with Christ, the words you hear from his sermon today are not mere platitudes and they're not optional. But in keeping with his goodness, God offers each of us the choice to obey. The choice is ours. The choice is mine. But just remember 
And our salvation by grace through the finished work of Jesus Christ alone, not through our performance. God has made promises to his children, promises that he is more than able to keep. Choose today to trust him with your life, all of it. Don't just believe in him, but believe him. Obey him and rely upon his grace to do for you what you were unable to do for yourself. Because as God has said, even when you are weak, God can still make you what? Strong. Choose by faith to see the world he is recreating in the cross and resurrection of Jesus as he describes it in the scriptures and live accordingly. Live your life with a biblical imagination. Trust when he says that you are his child, Christian, and you have become a citizen of a kingdom that will never be in trouble. He loves you and always will. God's love is eternal because the scriptures teach that God is love and God is eternal. Find your joy, peace, security. In His promise, not your performance, in His promise. And then let that promise of His of His of his assurance and his love compel you to live toward that promise, to live as though the promise is true. Let that compel you. That's what the Bible calls obedience. No matter the cost, choose to obey him and trust him with the consequences. Because you were his. I offer these stories for you today so you can see. So you can see that I can see. For those of us, for those of you who have not placed faith in Jesus Christ or who by the evidences of your life do not live as though Jesus is Lord in willful disregard, disobedience, I offer these words to you. If I who am a sinful man is capable of love. Imagine Jesus who is love incarnate. How much he loves you. He wishes you to be redeemed and restored much more than you wish to be redeemed and restored. You may wonder if your sins can be forgiven. He wishes to forgive your sins more than you wish your sins to be forgiven. You may wonder if your heart can find healing. He wishes to heal your heart more than you wish your heart to be healed. You may wonder if you will ever find peace and joy. He wishes to give you peace and become your joy more than you wish for peace and long for joy. He desires for you to know Him and be with Him in glory much more than you wish to know Him and be in glory with Him. He is love. He is Jesus. He is is Lord. His kingdom is yours. You only need to turn to Him and repent. You only need to.